Welcome to another edition of The List, the Right Fiction Podcast. We've got a great show for you all today about our favorite overlooked albums. Before we get started, if you love the pod, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your listening app. It helps us reach new listeners like you. Also, be sure to check out our companion Spotify playlist with all our picks that we mentioned in the pod. The link is in the show details. Now, let's get to it. On this podcast, we generally talk about all our favorite albums. Each episode, we try and squeeze in all our favorites, but unfortunately, no matter how hard we try, we can't get them all in. That is why we have these episodes to chat about the albums that are just below our all-time favorites, but that we think are still pretty amazing. On this show, we are super excited to jump back in and give you another dose of our favorite overlooked albums. So hang out with us for a bit and enjoy the show now here are the guys we have adam of course freddie berman brendan brendan Brendan. aaron brown that's me uh the john stockton of podcast dishing out assists left and right not flashy but gets the job done and today we are going to start with you, album, Adam. Excuse me. To give, album. <laughs> you album to give your number three favorite overlooked album. Ah, uh, we are into overlooked too. I like this. Overlooked is one of the greatest categories because it means we get to drop our knowledge. You know what I mean? This is why I always like going with these. And my number three this time around is Clues by Robert Palma, circa nineteen eighty. And I know. Um, Really, overall, I mean, not maybe in this circle, but I feel like Robert Palmer is a bit criminally underrated overall. I mean, I just think he belongs in a higher thing. And we've we've touted the funk stuff for a while, but this one is kind of like a standalone new wave album he did. And uh, I think he's got some great writing on it. I mean, uh, Johnny and Mary is kind of one of his biggest hits as far as he goes. And also the uh, I Dream of Wires with uh, Gary Newman, with, actu- with Gary Newman actually playing the keys on, on it, which is pretty cool. And also pretty... Uh, Pretty uh, early Beatles cover there. Not a second time is actually on Meet the Beatles, which is a mm. uh, you know you know they were you know a lot of Beatles covers were happening, but no one was really doing the you know a, you know a, a random one off Meet the Beatles. But uh, oh, I love this album. It's got tons of pep, and it's a quickie. It's like thirty one minutes. It's like you know you can really ingest it quick over and over and over and over and over again. So yeah, clues number three. Awesome album. I want to hear a little bit more about that later. Um, I really enjoyed that one. But Freddie, what is your number three favorite overlooked album today? Yeah, number three is The Town and the City, 12th studio album released by Los Lobos in 2006. Uh, Didn't really have any uh, big quote-unquote hits, any radio songs. I don't remember hearing any of this stuff on the radio. And it it's uh the title of the album is taken from the debut novel 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 by Jack Kerouac, and the album explores themes of longing, disillusionment, and loneliness in the Mexican American immigrant experience, which obviously perfectly describes Los Lobos' upbringing. 
uh, one of my favorite bands and uh, just a really overlooked album by uh, of theirs and in general, Los Lobos, the town and the city, number three. That's an excellent pick, um, Freddie. And I want to definitely want to hear more about them because I have some um, some weird thoughts about them. Maybe, um, Brendan, your number three favorite overlooked album for today. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear more about what weird thoughts are. That's intriguing. I <laughs> my number three. I am kicking off my list with this album called Largo, which is which was put out by a project called Largo. This came out in 1998 and I'll tell you who's on it. And it'll be hard to imagine why anyone's not heard of this album. It's like so star studded. It's sort of a partial reunion of members of the band. Levon Helm and Garth Hudson are both on it. Members of the Hooters, Taj Mahal is on it. The Chieftains, Joan Osborne, City Lopper, Carol King. It goes on and on. It's really like a super group of sorts. And it takes its name loosely based off of the Dvorak New World Symphony Movement, Largo. And there's some really great songs on here, like Give Me a Stone is super great. Uh, and I just love it. And the only reason I know about it is because I happen to know one of the guys who put it out. I, I do some work with Rob Hyman from the Hooters, and he like once casually mentioned, oh, yeah, I did this project called Largo a while ago. It was a lot of fun. And then I looked it up, and I was like, how do I not know about this record? It's amazing. So that's why it's number three. Wow, that was a great record. I really, I really enjoyed that one. Um, and it's my turn. Uh, this is Aaron here, and my number three pick today is, um, I guess, a used to be local guy, um, guitar player named Matt Davis. Um, I think he's from Philly, um, and his group Matt Davis. So, so it's called Matt Davis's Aerial Photograph, and the album is from, I believe, two thousand three. I think it's their first album. Um, he released under that name. It's Before the Stars Burn Out with featured guests Diane Monroe and Ben Schachter. And this album um, is just amazing. Uh, it, it hits all my all my really soft spots with the whole jazz and jazz orchestration, the whole Gil Evans thing. And um, I, I think at a previous podcast or something, we were talking about the Tritone, and, which is this little bar in Philadelphia that um, it's closed now, but um is across the street from bob and barbara's um on south street and it was just a crap hole i mean just a crap hole where it's just you know it's just the citywide specials and and then there was this like i don't know 11 10 piece orchestra in the tritone playing this beautiful music and for that for that experience this 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 album got in my number three because that, that it was a high class low class it was all class um and that's my number three pick. And I'll be kicking back to you, Adam, for your number two favorite overlooked album. Uh, for number two, I shot ahead to the year of 2003 and went with Mad Libs Shades of Blue, which is kind of a little, um, it's, the album is a few different things. One, it's uh, he, he remixed some of the uh, classic Blue Note catalog. And then, and then also, if you look at the, uh, the liner notes and, you, and if you see there's like a, like say track five stormy featuring morgan adams quintet plus two that is actually just mad lib playing everything and then there's like uh the sound directions also mad lib playing everything the uh if it features the yesterday's now quintet that's also mad lib just playing everything so he kind of 
he kind of mixed up like you know some uh reimagined some blue note stuff and he played a whole bunch of reimagined blue note stuff himself uh, he's i think he's just such kind of a and when we say overlooked i think you know he's he's at his imprints on you know the hip-hop community and even the jazz community a little here and i think he just uh I do think he flies too under the radar from my liking, so I had to throw him in here at number two, Shades of Blue. Nice. And I definitely want to uh, learn a little bit more about, about him um, and, and kind of what he brings. Uh, but first, we'll go to Freddie for your number two favorite overlooked album of now. Yeah, number two. <laughs> After the Rain, Muddy Waters. And, it, you know, it's crazy because... The album cover is pretty bizarre looking. I don't know if you guys got a chance to look at it. And I remember seeing this record at a friend's house. This record is kind of, it's uh, it's an, a uh, follow-up to the record Electric Mud, which was basically uh, the chess, chess people, chess had the idea to, to pair Muddy Waters with a bunch of psychedelic, you know, modern, not rock musicians per se, but like people like Pete Cozy, guitar player played with Miles, who's just out there. You know what I mean? Great, great guitar player. I guess the idea was to, to pair Muddy with some younger guys who weren't... Yeah, get that young money. Yeah, exactly. They weren't necessarily blue, old standard blues guys. And it was very controversial. And so you do it once, it works. Hey, let's do it again. So this was like a follow-up to Electric Mud. And uh, if you get a minute, check out the album cover. It's pretty crazy. But uh, so not a lot of people know about this album, I guess, unless you're like a diehard Muddy Waters fan. And right. he does he does some standards here of some of his... He reimagines, let's put it this way, some of his old classics. So uh, that's my number two pick. Yeah. Nice. Brendan, give me your number two favorite overlooked album of now. Okay. I am going with 1963 Money Jungle. And this is a jazz supergroup, if you could even call it that. Duke Ellington, Charlie Mingus, Max Roach. And... To me, this is really overlooked because with those three giants of jazz, why is this not considered canon? Why is this not considered a classic jazz record up there with the likes of Kind of Blue, A Love Supreme, and things of that level? And so for me, I think it's a lovely record. The The highlight is the title track, Money Jungle, I think is, is just a fun tune. The playing feels really informal and relaxed in that way. I think it sounds like these three guys were just having fun doing it. And so I think it's a great record and, and a lot of people don't know about it. So that's why it's my number two. Yeah. That was a very cool. album. just gave me the, you know, you got, you guys know, I love the black feelings and it just gave me all the black feelings <laughs> in my bones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so for, for it's my turn now, I guess. And uh, so my number two favorite overlooked album of right now um, is an album called in tune from 1971. Um, by the Oscar Peterson Trio and the Singers Unlimited, and um, it's this. This really is of now, because I just found this record like last week. Um, it came up in one, you know in the Spotify play in Spotify. You, you get your weekly things. 
And because we have been doing a lot of shows on Oscar Peterson, having Oscar Peterson, he, this, this popped up. And when it did, um, I immediately sent it out to the group. And I listened to this record probably about 15 times since then. Um, and it's so amazing because it's not generally an Oscar Peterson record. Um, it's kind of the, he's just kind of like laying tracks down for the Singers Unlimited to kind of do their thing. And boy, do they do their thing. So um, it, it, great vocal group, great playing, everything. So that's why this is my number two favorite Overlooked album of right now. And uh, I'm going to kick it back to you, Adam. What is your number one favorite Overlooked album of now? All right. My number one of Overlooked 2, <laughs> as I think this is, would be a recurring series because there's just, you know there's so much music out there. But um, I went with this one. I went with uh, Flo and Eddie's first uh, solo venture, the Fluorescent Leech and Eddie, <laughs> a.k.a. the fourth Turtles album. <laughs> and an interesting uh, quick backstory here. Um, uh, they, this is actually Zappa's band from, uh, you know, from that famed, uh, you know, Fillmore East 71. But uh, Zappa, during one of the shows of that tour, uh, fell off stage. I think he broke his arm or something like the arm or leg. He broke something and couldn't tour for a while. So, um, you know, uh, so uh, Mark and Howard, uh, a.k.a. Flo and Eddie, they weren't allowed to use the real names. They're, the Turtles, when that all broke up, that, that, that it was a mess. That's why they had to use the, all the they couldn't use the Turtles. They couldn't use their actual names. Wow. And so they so so they um, yeah, so they're like, oh, hey, guys, hey, Frank Zappa. And that we are also a part of. Uh, here we got this album that's supposed to be the fourth Turtles album. How about we record it? So they, so they did. I, I mean, you just, and I think, uh, I think also the, I think the Turtles, and uh, another overlooked thing. I mean, with Happy Together, Eleanor, and then like, I mean, they sang uh, literally all of T Rex's hits. There's Flo and Eddie's backing. They, they have backing vocals where people don't even know. They're like, they're like a, the duo that nobody knows they know. And and but this album just kind of never really uh, bubbled up. Um, and and I mean, I mean, I think because uh, they they did these couple, and then I think you know Zappa got going again eventually. But uh, and they also never really hit. I don't think they ever hit the heights of the. They did two albums actually with this lineup. Um, different keyboard players second time around. But anywho, a lot of great tunes on this. Stellar musicianship. I mean, uh, I think uh, even as like a, if you can consider it a fourth Turtles album, I think it's a cool progression sound. You know, sound wise and everything. And uh, I just uh, I know this album inside and out and love it. Number one. So I mean, would you consider them to be like um, a poor man's uh, Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald? No, I consider them a rich man's <laughs> Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald. Where? Do, how does that? How do you even get that analogy? That's like <laughs> that does not compute. He's having you know, a whole bunch of backgrounds over here. A whole bunch of backgrounds. You know, I would say Lo Kenny Loggins. And Jim Messina are the poor man's Hall and Oates. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, Freddie now. Berman. That was Freddie Berman, everybody. <laughs> uh, Freddie, what is your number one favorite number one, drum album off. right now? Uh, Beck Bogart and Apisay. This is their only studio album. I believe they recorded another album, but it never got released. Jeff Beck, Tim Bogart. From Cactus and Carmen Apisay from Vanilla Fudge and and Cactus and later on Rod Stewart, uh, they were a super group. I actually saw them the short time they were together. I saw them at the Tower Theater. Who were they? They were headlining, and I believe 
the Boss Gags Band. No. Yeah, the Boss Gags Band opened for them. And when I say Boss Gags, I don't mean like, you know, Lido Shuffle. I mean the Boss Gags Band was a hard-hitting blues R&B band. If you don't know them, check out the first two albums. They're incredible. Anyway, back to Beck Bogart and say. Uh, Stevie Wonder wrote Superstition for Jeff Beck. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. And so the original recording of Superstition is on this album. The people at Motown said, are you crazy? Are you ki- What are you doing giving that song away? So that's why Stevie Wonder recorded it. Because the people at his label went berserk. And anyway... Great band, great trio. However, Beck quit the band <laughs> and went on to do his, you know, his next phase of his career, which I'm sure a lot of people are glad he did. Uh, I'm not necessarily a fan of that phase of his career, but after this, and a live album with this band came blow by blow. Yeah, that's the that's the Jeff Beck we all so, know. Love. Well, maybe you, you know him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my number one, my top overlooked yeah. album. He was get he was working he was working his way up to because we've ended now as lovers. So, I mean, you got to get through you got to get through navigate the ch- choppy waters to get to to the high hits. Anyway, Brendan, maybe. <laughs> Brendan, I'm really excited to hear about this person, Richard Swift. I had no idea who this person is, but the album was marvelous. Come on, buddy. Right on. Yeah. So my, my number one, to not bury the lead, Richard Swift, The Atlantic Ocean. This came out in 2009. And I think for me, Richard Swift is one of the most overlooked musicians in the last 20 years. I mean, was. his was. Yes. Rest in peace. We lost him recently. And he's, he was incredible, like so talented. He worked with a lot of artists as a producer. He was in a band with the Shins for a while. He toured with them. He toured with the Black Keys. He did that cool record uh, with the Arcs, which I like. But then his solo stuff was really great. Like he has very unconventional production techniques. And the Atlantic Ocean is just a solid record through and through. And I'll say it like the closing track, Lady Luck, is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's incredible. So I think he deserves way more love in the pantheon of producer artists. And so that's why he's my number one. Yeah, this album was fantastic. Fantastic. And then we're going to end up with me here, uh, Aaron Brown, the John Stockton of podcast here with my number one favorite overlooked album of right now. And this album, um, I've been trying to sneak into one of our lists for a long time, um, and it's never made the cut. Um, one because it's fantastic, and but it's also not fantastic at the same time. Um, but it's Euphoria Morning, an album by Chris Cornell, released in 1999. It's uh, his first solo studio album, and uh, I don't think it really got as much buzz maybe as it should have. Um, because he really took um, a lot of chances, I think, on this record that uh, maybe he wasn't um, able to take in his other band, um, Soundgarden, as it's called, I believe, right? Affirmative. And, uh, 
Yeah. The, uh, his uh, other band, his the, the band he's known for. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but I mean, these songs are amazing. Like if you check out the song Sweet Euphoria um, or like, you know, uh, Preaching the End of the World. I mean, he has he's coming in on like some clarinets starting on one album. Um, his voice is magnificent. Um, some of the songs, Freddie, you know, you know, you, you probably won't like because they're bad songs. But um, musically, um, I think it's he's just singing. He's just singing his butt off. And that's what I love. Right on. So that's why it's my number one favorite overlooked album of right now. Adam, did you want to? No, I've just never heard the Chris Cornell influence in your singing. <laughs> this one, this one is quite a surprise. I mean, you surprised me in many ways, but this one was an, a new angle of surprise. Same. I thought this was an Adam pick. No me too. way. And I, I have some more stuff to say about this, but we will talk about this later in the discussion portion. Um, so we'll be back in a second. Uh, hold on. So we gave some great, great picks um, in the first uh, segment there. And um, I want to go to you, Freddie, first. When we talked about um, your pick, Los Lobos, yeah. um, in 2006. So I, I saw them when they uh, they came to the World Cafe um, live and did. Um, they had their Christmas album that came out like in, well, December of last year. Wow. And I saw them perform live on stage. And it was good. But it didn't blow my socks off. And then when I heard the album, I was like, this is really, really good. And so there's a disconnect in my brain where I'm like, they're on stage. They're kind of just like an average band. But then I hear the record. and I'm like, this is really interesting. So interesting. tell me a little bit more about why you love the band, Los Lobos, and specifically this album. Well, I mean, Christmas album. I'm not familiar with that record. I mean, they've written, if, if you really want to get into the definitive Los Lobos, check out Kiko. Um, Kiko and the Lavender Dream, I think is the name of the record. I just call it Kiko. It's uh, Lavender Moon, I'm sorry. It's their masterpiece to me. Uh, and it's, you know, a Christmas album. Interesting. So I what I like about them is obviously how they mix their uh, Mexican American influence with rock, mm-hmm. and how they straddle between the both worlds. And you know, back in the day, there was a huge uh, Latino rock scene in California, in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was huge, and I think they are a another peg in that tradition. Um, so yeah, maybe that Christmas thing just wasn't their. Maybe they were just doing money grab. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But I saw them on their first tour, their first album at a place called the chestnut cabaret. And they blew my mind because mm. it was so different than what anything else was doing. than what anybody else was doing it. And it was in the 80s. 
where mm-hmm. a lot of stuff was really bad. Bad right. hair, bad songs, bad sounds, bad everything. Right. <laughs> as, our, as our past guest Flicker would say, no one escaped the 80s unscathed. <laughs> yeah. Except for maybe them. I don't know. Maybe. I have to just... I. I I'm only um, surface level on Los Lobos, but this this album kind of opened the door a little further for me, and and and, and I kind of take a little the little of the sentiment, Aaron, where I'm like, I'm like, well, they're not really doing anything that's knocking my socks off, but the melodic sensibilities really just kind of drew me in, and and just, I, I mean, I say we, a lot of times, you know, we put these playlists on shuffle, and every time a Los Lobos song came out, I, I loved every one of them. Yeah, and it, it was just it just the melodies are just they grip me every time. It. it just... Check out Kiko on the Lavender Moon. It's it's a masterpiece of a record. Brendan, did you want to add something to that? Yeah, I agree. I think think Los Lobos are kind of like a musician's kind of band. That's the impression I've always got from them. I think David Hidalgo is one of the most overlooked guitarists that we have. He's amazing. Like Just crazy chops and really tasteful. And just on a personal level, this band has been a big influence on me sort of indirectly. I had this incredible experience when I was coming up and interning at a studio and they had, there was like a, not even quite a week long, but there was uh, Steve Berlin came in to guest produce a project that the studio was working on. So I got to kind of intern under him and learn a lot of stuff. And wow. that's, I think that's part of why the records are so amazing. He is like really sharp as a producer, knows his stuff and like definitely a student of record making. So that was a very formidable experience for me. So Steve I don't know if you're aware of this, is from Philadelphia. Yeah. And I used to go see him. He used to be in a, uh, I guess they were a fusion band, for lack of a better word. I used to go see them back, way back in the way back in the 70s. And uh, he's definitely a big part of their sound. Although their first record, I don't think he was in the band at that point. I think that's right. But still, he's... He's definitely uh, got the ear to uh, take it, take, had the ear to take them to the next level. Do you think that, um, like, so, like, as you guys are talking about the band and everything, it's kind of making me feel like the way, same way, you know, at least in my head that, you know, you guys maybe talk about um, uh, Tom Petty. Is it kind of like a similar thing where, like, you know, Tom Petty, like the music is not like earth shattering, but like the melodies are good in my brain. That's kind of the way I equate it. Is that a, is that like a a thing that you guys, uh, is that like a fair assessment? No. Tom Petty had a little more mass appeal. I think I mean, I know, I know, I know a handful of low, low slobos. I think, um, maybe in a way, but I don't know. Uh, no, nah, I'm kind of stumped on that one, actually. I, I, I mean, you, you're kind of right in a way, but I don't agree, and that, and that's why I'm kind of. <laughs> well, that's the that's the answer I was looking for. That's the answer that I'm always <laughs> <No>. looking for. <laughs> you're kind of right, but I don't agree. That, if you guys say that all day long, that that will make me a happy man. Anyway, that's the next we're, shirt. <laughs> we're gonna stay with you, Adam. We're gonna stay with you, Adam, uh, and uh, talk about your album and uh, Clues, the number three album, 1980, yeah. Robert Palmer. Um, yo, so out of listening to all the albums um, in this list, uh, not including mine, but uh, from everybody else, this album was my favorite, and I was completely and utterly surprised by it. Um, this album had it was like like 
like uh, boopy and boppy and electronic kind of way. And but he was just killing it. Like it was just so listenable. Uh, tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, this album and Robert Palmer and, and why he isn't, you know, part of that. Like when I think about Robert Palmer, I think about like, uh, you know, uh, what's that guy the in the in uh, Phil Collins and what's the other guy um, that we love? The, you know, the other singer guy from Genesis, Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel. Gabriel. I just kind of think about him these, but then like, wait, he's not like he's not anywhere near those guys. So like, how come? Yeah, that I I really can't answer that that question really. Um, well, just how I, well I can answer how I actually got to this album is because we you know we always bouncing back and forth and I, I think it was Freddie talking about Robert Palmer and Pressure Drop and then I found a copy and then I found Sneak and Sally and then I found some people always get what they want and I just kind of start you know with my uh with my neuroses I just kind of keep on going down the line. Of albums, and I really enjoy. I mean, and really, I guess the t- the tie initially, of course, to Robert Palmer was Little Feet because they had the Little Feet um, guys playing on a lot of the albums uh, early on. But um, but Robert Palmer, like early on, is a lot of funk. He even experimented with a bit of reggae in there. Always, always very soulful. And then, and then he just he made this turn here on this album to New Wave, and he only did it for that one album. And then he really took a very more pop oriented turn. Like most people will know Robert Palmer from like the '80s stuff, like the addicted to love simply irresistible and that stuff is decent but i think it just i think um that that his earlier stuff gets kind of forgotten a little bit more to the the mass pop appeal thing but like but i don't know why he only did one new wave album and he even brought in gary newman to do gary newman's song his thing which i found it's kind of interesting it's more like kind of like a nielsen uh does newman where like randy newman plays piano on the you know on the whole thing, which is, you know, an, another pod in itself there. But uh, I don't know why he's, I, I really, I mean, I, I wasn't, I don't understand why Robert Palmer isn't up there with those guys. Hey, hey, so um, I'm going to pose that to the other guys. Why isn't Robert Palmer up with the, you know, the, the greats of the era, uh, Freddie and, and Brendan? Uh, Freddie, go ahead. Uh, all right. Um, first of all, I'm going to just say flicker. <laughs> And you'll know what I mean, because we just mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, Nobody escaped. And uh, for sure, either did Robert Palmer. I mean, if you're trying to compare Robert Palmer to Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins, I mean, totally different sensibilities. You know, Robert Palmer, as far as I'm concerned, it was more of a, a soulful cat. You know what okay, I mean? Well, and then throw, throw in Billy Joel then, too. What? Throw in Billy Joel as like a comparison guy. No, there's no comparison. No comparison. I mean, Ro- is, Robert is Palmer Billy Joel is high or like Robert Palmer is high. Brendan, what do you say? Ah! <laughs> You're baiting me. He's baiting everyone. He is. <laughs> so anyway, I think. He- be uh much higher uh than than a lot of well i guess well if we're coming back around to it if i if you look at like bodies of work and song selections robert palmer always dug around in covers a lot Mm. i mean there's always a couple covers on every album um i mean and i love a lot of his albums but there's always little there's always a few holes there's always a few holes although i mean with clues there wasn't enough time to have a hole it's like half an hour and that's why i think it's very strong but um 
I don't know. And, and also, um, Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins are still with us, and Palmer passed in 2003, unfortunately. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he would have had some kind of late career thing to, you I don't know. know man. That Phil Collins' late career stuff is like tarnishing his legacy. Well, uh, I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe he did him, you know, maybe he it did him better than not. That, that Motown's album he did, yikes. Oh, yeah. That's like, anyway. that could be a separate show of who should have stopped making records. <laughs> anyway. Oh, boy. Good one. Yeah. Good one. We're going to stay with you, Brendan. And uh, so tell me about Richard Swift, because this was the, uh, I guess, number three favorite album of all of our picks that we've had um, for this for this episode. Yeah. I just keep coming back to this album. It has a lot to offer. It's got a lot of range. It's got like enough of like... That, that sort of like indie Beatles flair to it, but like mixed with some really funky, just offbeat sounds and production stylings. And then the songs are great. Like, I think he, I don't know, like he's able to craft these very enigmatic pop songs and deliver them in a way that doesn't sound like anybody else, despite the influences that you can hear. And I think he was amazing, really, like just super underrated, talented guy, troubled guy for sure, which I think is part of why he's not around anymore. But he really put out a lot during the time he was here. And man, he's he's like one of those producers that I listen to his records. I'm like, I wish I could have gotten a chance to meet him and or work with him in some way. I think that would have been a blast. Adam, what do you got, man? Oh, um, I my record club a few weeks before the taping of this, we uh, uh currently we do like where we feature an album a week and we did uh the album after this, the Hex, which I think is just a little little more dynamic this one. I like Atlantic Ocean a lot. The Hex had a lot more uh just there's a lot more going on. But I mean, yeah, I'm I hear like a hundred influences like put together in, in like one unique sound. And I'm also just mad because now I can't really drop it because you 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 did this. So it's no longer overlooked. <laughs> so what was this? What was uh, Richard Swift's like biggest hit if he had one? He didn't really have it. What did he produce? Uh, he did a lot of, lot, of, lot of Black Keys. He was on the, with the uh, Black Keys for a while. He toured with right. them, yeah. He And he did some work with the Shins. He did some work mm-hmm. with Minor Birds, Foxygen. Uh, this band Pickwick that I like, he worked with them. And I think his biggest hit is probably Lady Luck. That If you know any Richard Swift, you might know that song. Gotcha. But it's more like you know the guys he was with. He's like he's like the like the ultimate role player. Who was he yeah. on tour with when he passed? He was out on tour with somebody, wasn't he? Uh, I think that might have been the Arcs because I saw that tour a few years ago. That was that came to the Fillmore, and he was playing drum set, but also like mallets and other crazy. Like he was just doing so much. He plays keys. He played keys too, didn't he? Yeah, wasn't that his main one of his main instruments? Right, yeah, yeah but the, on the Ark store, they did dueling drum kits. It was him and Homer Steinweiss from like Dap, Daptone's family. Yeah. The two of them as like yeah, two drummers wow. off each other. It was great. It was wow. so great. Wow. Well, I want to uh, change a little directions now and um, kind of go back to Freddie here. And Freddie, I want you to tell me a little bit more about um, kind of the 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 Beck, Bogert, and Apis um, album. Apisay. Yeah. And kind of like, so Beck was in like an upward trajectory at this point in time. He still hadn't hit his peak. Um, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not true. Here we go. <laughs> ding, ding. Uh, Round one. And, um, you know, with the Stevie Wonder song, yo, I got to tell you that version of, I, how, well, let me, let me say this. Freddie, how do you feel about that version of Superstition? On well, it's, it's different. I mean, look. Stevie Wonder wrote this amazing riff, right? 
come on, everybody knows the riff. Yeah, iconic. Right? Mm-hmm. So this, my friends, is a three-piece rockin' power trio. A riff song like that is perfect for a group like that. If you're trying to compare Stevie Wonder's playing and singing to a hard rock power trio, you're severely mistaken, my friend. (laughs) As comparing apples and kumquats, okay? (laughs) Which I think is what you're trying to do. But that's not the point of Beck, Bogart, and Apisay. They were a power trio. I did love the album. Let, let, let me say this. I mean, now. they're I, great, I think they're great really, players. Really, they're all great players. And it's a really rock section, album. that drummer and bass player had played together already in a band. So it was yeah. like Beck saying, plucking these two guys over here and saying, come with me until he yeah. got bored. <laughs> right. And then said, all right, I'm done playing rock. Yeah, it's really rocking. And that's, uh, I, as I was very surprised how rocking it was. Um, and initially when I saw it, and this is my own ignorance, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw myself under the bus here. My own ignorance was like, I saw it and I thought it was, um, I couldn't see the date on it. So uh, I thought it was um, um, a Beck album with like some two random dudes. And I was like, ah, I don't, don't want to listen to this Beck album. <laughs> so and then I heard you were mad. I was like, Beck is rocking. And then I was like, wait a No, no, no. I mean like Beck. Beck the like, artist. Today, yeah. Oh, today, oh uh, Oh, Beck Hanson. Beck Hanson, yeah. I was like, man, Beck is rocking. This is the best Beck album I've ever heard. (laughs) That's funny. But it's it's so funny. I had a similar reaction, Aaron, and then I didn't realize it was Jeff Beck, but then listening to it and then looking at the date, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but it it sounds so 1973, like unmistakably. It is. And maybe You said a couple of the guys were from Vanilla Fudge. Is that was that part of it? Yeah, and Cactus. And Cactus, yeah. It just sounds so much like that era. And I, I don't yep. know if that's a good thing, but it definitely brings you back. This is yeah, where I'm Spotify right. can get a little tricky because the the year that they list isn't always the actual year it came out. I don't think it was the case with this, but there's been many times if you go on Spotify and it's like they, they put the year that like the remaster was done. And yeah, then you're just that's like, true. They're like, that's how the true. hell is this album from 2007? Then you find out it's from like 1981. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's right. why I, I always check with Wikipedia. You must wiki. Yes. If I can find it or all music or discogs. Right. Yeah. But yeah, look, look, this album, you know, Stevie Wonder gave one of his greatest songs away to a guy that he respect and they had worked together, you know, on talking book was talking book was 72. I think. I think so. so, Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were friends and then Stevie made a mistake, (laughs) (laughs) but it wasn't a mistake because that's one of his most iconic songs. Regardless. I don't think it was, you know, just to clarify this for everyone around the world, because I know we have some listeners out there in, Australia and oh, New yeah? Zealand and, and, and South Africa oh, yeah. and all around. So yeah. just to clarify this for all you worldwide listeners, um, there was no mistake here because uh, he on Blow by Blow, Stevie Wonder gave Jeff Beck because we've ended our lover as lovers and debt paid. Nobody owes anything. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> all argument is done. 
Here you go, Jeff Beck. Go peacefully. Uh, Adam. <laughs> I want to take a little turn. I want to take a little turn here, and uh, I, my my biggest question after looking at your list, Aaron, is where were you, and what were you doing, and where was your what was your mindset when you discovered this Chris Cornell album? Because I I I'm just I'm just still flummoxed. That I mean, I'm just flummoxed. So uh, so actually, you knew me back then. Um, so this is when, so Adam and I were in a band way back in the early 2000s called Alien Red. And, um, and at that point in time, like I didn't know any sort of thing about rock music. I was like an R&B guy through and through all my chords were R&B. My singing was R&B. Everything was R&B. And when we were, we were living in Scranton at the time and you can go to the library and just check out all these like albums, like random albums. And so I just would go and pick out like 20 albums from the library and just like take them home and listen to random albums. And this was one of the random albums. Huh. And huh. I was like, it kind of like helped me click the fact that, oh, you could still sing, like you could do, you can do music like this. This is how you get into the rock thing, the, into right that feeling, that mode. Um, because I couldn't really dig, I couldn't sing like, you know, I wasn't in a band. We weren't in a band called like Soundgarden or anything, but. I was like, oh, this is the connecting bridge for me. Um, oh, you know, cool. it was cool. from the other side too. Like, so he was kind of like toning it all down, but he was still like the thing. And I was like kind of toning it up. And so that's what this album really represents for me is, um, you know, just some, some cool instrumentation and cool arrangements. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got to this album. Now, Freddie, Freddie, what's up, man? Yeah. Um, also, I want to ask you, uh, Aaron, about the Matt Davis record. How, where did that come from? I mean, I know who Matt is. I know Matt. And I know who Ben Schachter is. But how, how, where, how did that come to be one of your choices? Yeah, I mean, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but like, uh, I think I just randomly saw him um, at Tritone. Like, I think I was like, on a date or something. Was this album out yet? Yeah. So this was, um, I saw him in like maybe 2006. And so this album, he had just released his second album at that point in time, okay. which was um, an album like of songs he wrote. Um, like every month he would write a song and kind of like talk to people on the street. Um, it's a really amazing concept. I didn't really dig it. I but mean, he's great. Great guitar album, player first album uh, he was playing songs from the first album there and i just bought it and i never bought anybody's album back then right shit. right i wouldn't buy anybody's stuff but this one i just was like yo i i gotta save i can't buy this uh citywide special i gotta hold off <laughs> specials because i gotta buy this guy's album so wow. that's it, it, that that was serious back then for me to not buy you know two or three citywide specials to buy this guy's album that was super huge. Well, you could have uh, gone across the street and gotten them for cheaper, maybe. <laughs> at Bob and Barber's. <laughs> maybe. The city the city-wide. Um, uh, Matt's up in New York now, I believe. I believe yeah, he I, moved. I actually just started um, teaching now at uh, University of Arts. Though. Oh, wow. Cool. But um, I love his playing. He's just like, he's just so delicate, man. I don't know yeah. if you've seen him play, but he's such a delicate oh. guitar player. I think I saw him at Ortlieb's back in the day. Really nice guy. Really sweet guy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, so switching, uh, you know, gears a tiny bit. Um, 
I just want to go to um, uh, Brandon, your uh, money jungle, because um, again, I love the. You guys know I love the black feelings, and it has all the black feelings. Tell me a little bit more about this record, because I know um, I, in reading um, what's his name, uh, uh, Miles Davis's biography, uh, I know Mingus just loved Duke Ellington. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, oh man, yeah, I know this is going to be really good. Yeah, this was, for me, I found out about it in college. It was a drummer friend of mine that was like way into Max Roach. And he was like, you don't know Money Jungle? You got to listen to this. And I might've checked it out from the school library as well. Come to think of it. Right on. And I was blown away. I mean, there's the star power that, that you get from all these years removed of these three giants playing together. But then the record works, although in researching this a little bit, I did see that like a lot of critics kind of pan the record for the audio fidelity and maybe the the cross generational playing between Ellington and Mingus and Roach. There's just too much of a gap there. But honestly, uh. I think I think Ellington sounds like Ellington. I think Mingus kind of shifts his style to meet Duke a little bit more. And but at the same time like gives you a little bit of a taste of what you're going to get from Mingus in the years to come. So I think the album works on a lot of levels and I, and I really think it should be discussed more widely. Right on. Did, you, did any of you guys know about this album be before? I did not. Yes. No, I enjoyed it thoroughly as well. I had a friend when I was in high school, I had a guy who was a kind of a mentor to me, bass player played upright and electric and uh, I used to go over to, we were in a band together. I answered an ad in the paper. And this guy lived in Upper Darby. He was like, which is five minutes from where I grew up. So I used to go over to his house a lot. Uh, and his record collection was just unbelievable. And we would just sit in his living room, alter our minds, sometimes our livers. And just listen to great music. And this is one of the great albums that he oh. turned me on to. Uh, so you were maybe Shepherd's Pie and listening to records. 16 years old, maybe. Nice. <laughs> yep. uh, before we get out of here, though, I, I, I do want to uh, touch upon Adam, your pick, uh, Shades of Blue, Mad Lib. Mm-hmm. Um, never heard it, um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, tell me a little bit about, and was he, was it, was it released on Blue Note, this album? Um, let me take a double, double check here. I'm not even totally sure. Released. Yeah, it was released by Blue Note. Yes. Um, but but not jazzy. Right. I mean, he's kind of Mad Lib's kind of a hip hop guy and really, um, how I kind of got into Mad Lib was, um, uh, uh, Freddie Gibbs album from a couple years ago that, uh, Mad Lib and him collaborated on and just. He just has a great touch with things, and I and then we you know dig deep more into his stuff, and I look like oh like seventeen years ago he did a a blue note thing, and it's and, and it's really one of those albums, and it's a time and place thing. I don't know. I I love it when I'm driving because I can kind of get lost in it. And there's all the little interviews and dialogue, and um, that makes I total think, sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, uh, yeah, it's great driving record because, and it's just. And um and then you know I we you know we spun it with the record club and then I sat it down for a while then we're thinking about this pod again and I and I'm just looking through all the you know all of my new knowledge from the, especially in, from the last COVID year you know we we've really you know the record club has ingested a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of albums 
and I popped this one back on again and it's like it had like with fresh ears I just really uh I'm just like I don't know any too many albums that are that are like this you know it's just it kind of yeah. it just kind of has its own has its own life its own breath right yes, Freddie, what do you got man um so Adam you said uh when you were describing your pick mm-hmm. that he played everything actually uh all the instruments or are you talking about sampling um uh, the instruments i mean he um some of these songs interesting uh, uh, some of these songs are remixed and then the other then there's any the any he uh he's kind of famous for having like fake pseudonyms so it's like you see like track five like stormy track five that features morgan adams quartet plus two that's just him or there's like the featuring the sound directions oh, that's cool. just him yeah, he's kind of he's kind of a savant multi-instrumental uh savant so yeah that that, then when i then once you find that out about it the whole album it just that that added an extra dimension for me i'm just like wow interesting very cool when you were saying that you know it's a great driving record i totally agree and we'll put this into my driving rotation um but just listening like um like just headphones on listening in your house in one room or whatever um i just i wanted to feel a little bit more jazziness a little more like like interesting like pizzazz like but um but from a like if you're just like kind of driving or like vibing on something or whatever it is working outside or whatever it just has enough where it's like not you know like not um, distracting or whatever yeah i'd say it's more of a companion and not as much of a as a centerpiece as i think yeah put it yeah Yeah, so did he make a record with jay dilla yes they do jay lib right yeah i believe it's called yeah champion sound yeah yeah that yeah. was one of his earliest things yeah, yeah. i mean he's, yeah, he's I got like a, that album he's got quite a yeah he's got he, he does done stuff with mf doom talib kwali uh right freddie on. gibbs i mean he's done two albums with freddie gibbs that are both fantastic i mean he's just kind of he's all over the map yeah nice so i mean we're we're, we're coming to the end on, on this one but um you know, as always we'd like to kind of give our final thoughts and today i'd like to go to brendan mcgeehan um but do you have any final thoughts on like kind of the you know the albums we picked today or like did you hate them all did you like them what was your favorite <laughs> what was your least favorite wow that's a that's a oh boy a monstrous question i'll do my best so <laughs> loaded i think with this topic more than anything these albums are very personal to us because with music that is overlooked we become champions of these records because not a lot of people know about them and we feel like more people should know about them. So there's an evangelical bent to our picks here. And Ooh. I think related to our personal stories, it's just really nice to hear. I think, I think we're getting to know each other more through these albums because they're a reflection of us. So that was really interesting for me. And there was a lot here that I was grateful to hear and we'll go back and listen to uh, more deeply. Right on. Wow. The professor speaks. Uh, Freddie, what, 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 what do you got, man? Um, I was a little surprised at some picks. Which ones? Um, actually, the Matt Davis pick on your end surprised me a little bit. Um, but I'm glad you picked it because, you know, I know Matt and I'm a fan. Um, Richard Swift was a little surprised, but then again unknown that's the or underrated that's the whole point of this topic uh i surprised myself with the muddy waters pick (laughs) (laughs) 
you have to look at the album cover. It's it's out there. Actually, I prefer the album before Electric Mud, but that's a little too well known. But this is like Electric Mud Part Two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're they're both kind of interesting records, but I I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed sharing my thoughts about music with you guys. Even if we don't always see eye to eye, it doesn't matter. That's what what a world would that be? That's no fun. Yeah, agree. I agree. Except for uh, if you guys saw eye to eye with my opinions, then it'll be very <laughs> much fun for me. That's uh, a t-shirt. <laughs> Adam, um, what are your thoughts? And also, just real quick, Adam, Flo and Eddie, uh, never heard it, didn't like the cover. The, it was weird looking, but I really enjoyed it. Um, but go ahead. It's a nice gem. Yeah, nice gem. Um, and and uh, oh, yeah, I just had to find a way to get that in. But no, my, uh, my parting thought, um, uh, God, I'm so used to going first. I'm so, I'm so befuddled. No, but no, what I had um, <laughs> is. Uh, uh, I, why I like doing these types of things and why I like uh, doing the record clubs and, and these podcasts is that uh, you sometimes get extended, extended vision. Uh, you get extended um, looks um, at some of the artists you like yourself. How I was saying, I, I kind of introduced uh, Oscar Peterson into the fold kind of a little bit. And, and Aaron, your number two pick there, I did not know. See, and, and, and I was just kind of enchanted by that album. Uh, I just find it really just tasteful and great. I know we didn't get to talk about it, but I'm just like, yeah, you know, you throw a name into the ring and then someone comes back with something that you weren't too familiar with. And then you get to, you know, you get to learn more about your own artist that you, uh, you know, did in the first place. And that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is going to be, um, as we go on, this is going to be uh, the Oscar Peterson podcast, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is not, which is not bad at all. But um, yeah, I love everybody's picks. Look, looking at everybody's picks that they have there, that we have there, um, really, it's not a bad pick in the in the bunch, really. And uh, I really enjoyed all all like all of the albums. So I recommend uh, to all the listeners out there to check them out on our Spotify uh, playlist that we have for for this week. And uh, and with that, um, say thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back another week uh, next week. Excuse me, with another uh, another pod for your ears. Take care. Right, fiction.